We're up to chapter 3, Mishnah 2. Rabbi Hanina, Skan HaKohanim Omer. Rabbi Hanina, the deputy chief of the Kohanim, says, just like we have a president and there's a vice president, there was the Kohen Gadol, the high priest, and there was the vice Kohen Gadol, the, the second in command. And this was especially important on Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is the one day year where the Kohen Gadol, the high priest, is indispensable because the majority of the operations of the temple on Yom Kippur were done single-handedly by the Kohen Gadol, by the high priest. And therefore, he had to be there and he had to be present, he had to be capable of executing the responsibilities of the office. Well, what if he becomes impure? What if something happens uh, that he's not able to execute the responsibilities? So there was a backup. There was a uh, a skana koinim, a, a deputy high priest that would step into the shoes of the Kohen Gadol in the event that he becomes invalidated or disqualified in any way from doing what he needs to do on Yom Kippur. So who is this vice Kohen Gadol at the end of the second temple era? His name was Rabbi Hanina, and he was called Rabbi Hanina, Skana Kohenim, Rabbi Hanina, the deputy chief of the Kohanim, the Kohen Gadol. You know, there was a, a line from John Adams, I believe, where he said, like, there, was, there hasn't been a more useless office ever than that of the vice president. The, the Skana Kohenim, the vice Kohen Gadol, all he did was walk alongside the Kohen Gadol and be there in the event of him becoming disqualified and he would fill his shoes. But he had no other responsibility, no other role outside of that. So he was, of course, someone uh, who was qualified to become Kohen Gadol. But unless something happened to Kohen Gadol himself, he would be doing absolutely nothing. And he teaches us a very interesting statement, uh, which seems to be uh, a comment against anarchy. One should pray for the welfare of the government. Because if not for people's fear of it, if not for the people's fear of the judicial system and the, the police, each person would his fellow man swallow alive. This is a very surprising statement on two fronts. First of all, we're told to pray for the government. Well, which government? It seems like it's every government. Well, what if the government is a bad government? Uh, uh, maybe you try to vote it out of office. But even non-Jewish governments, we're required to pray for them. In fact, there's a prayer that we say in shul every week where we pray for the well-being of the president, the vice president, all the constituted officers, the federal government, the local government, the municipality, uh, the statewide government. And it seems kind of crazy. Uh, and, and by the way, he is coming to us from Israel. He's a high priest in Jerusalem. And he's living under very harsh, oppressive Roman rule. And even for the Romans, says Rabbi Hanis even for a tyrannical government like them, it's still better than anarchy. I would surmise that he would tell us if we were, God forbid, stuck in the USSR, in the, you know, the modern incarnation of a very oppressive government, he would probably tell us to pray for their welfare. Because even a terrible government is better than no government at all. That's what it seems like he's telling us, which is a very, very surprising statement. You know, the rabbis were routinely attacked by the Romans. The Romans were very harsh to any dissidents. And in fact, during his time, 
during the end of the Second Commonwealth, the end of the Second Temple era, there was a substantial contingency of Jews known as the Biryonim uh, who were chomping at the bit to fight the Romans. But it seems like the rabbis were more, were more conciliatory. They were more accepting of the harsh Roman rule, not to rattle them, not to give them an excuse to kill everyone and everything. And of course, we know the story we've spoken about, about in the past, how these groups of fanatics, uh, they were eager for a fight. They got the fight they wanted. And unfortunately, it didn't turn out the way they desired, and lots of people were killed. Uh, and here we see that the idea of, 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 of a government, the idea of distributed uh, force, the idea of, of a police is, is actually valuable. You know, even though it seems to run, run afoul against maybe some of the American founding principles of freedom and the empowering the individual, the sovereign individual, things like that. But there is a certain degree where people left unchecked, there's no checks and balances, people can resort to very bad impulses and people will swallow each other alive and that's of course terrible and therefore having a government where people's power are held in check is a good thing, which maybe uh, maybe this is also why autocracy um, sometimes fails uh, and even people that were very noble initially in their rise to power, once they are in total control, it doesn't work out well because they are the same guy who wants to swallow people alive and there's no one to check them. Which is interesting, you know, in, 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 in Jewish law, there's all kinds of ordinances to rein in a Jewish king from becoming a despot. Because... It seems like we, we're realizing, we're, we're cognizant that people are fallible. And as the old saying goes, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. E- even, even great kings like King David and King Solomon, the great heroes of Jewish history, even those people who are the hearts of the nation, even they are reined in to a certain degree with restrictions on their total power. So we see this idea that we're supposed to pray for the well-being of a government because that will hold people in check from swallowing people alive. There's a teaching in the Talmud in the book of Avodah Zarah on page 4. It quotes a verse in Habakkuk where it says that God made man like the fish of the ocean, that there's no one in control of them. So the Talmud's like, well, why are people compared to fish? And it gives a variety of answers. First answer it gives is that just like when fish, when they're beached, you know, when they when they end up on land, they die. So too, when humans, when when Jews abandon Torah, they die. Which is the same argument that Rabbi Kiva made before he passed away, before he was brutally killed. If you take a Jew out of Torah, it's like taking a fish out of water, they will die. Uh, but. In the end, the Talmud gives another interpretation of this verse, and it says, just like the fish in the ocean, the bigger fish swallows the little fish, so too, people, if not for the fear of the government, every big one would swallow the little one, and then it invokes our Mishnah, Rabbi Chinyas who says that if not for the, you have to pray for the well-being of the government, because... If not for them, people would swallow each other alive. Now, reading this Mishnah, 
it's just incredible how like the founding fathers, when they came up with this idea, or whoever did, you know, John Locke, uh, uh, came up with these ideas of distributed power, of, of checks and balances, of, of different components of the government, each overseeing the other, how they essentially recognize this fundamental idea of this Mishnah that you cannot trust people with absolute power. And therefore, you have to pray for someone to check that, either in the form of government, but even the government itself needs to be have, have its check. And that way, uh, there's going to be stability and security and people could flourish and there's not going to be tyranny. And I, and I think we have to be appreciative. You know, we live in America and everyone likes to complain how bad things are regardless. But we do definitely, all of us could agree that we have to, we have to be appreciative of that we're living in the, in, in a country that this idea of checks and balances is given regardless of who's in power. I remember hearing someone who, you know, people have said this. Oh, this is going to be the last president. I've heard from both sides. So it's, it's, it's true. You know, Obama is going to take over and then, oh no, uh, Trump is, is, he, you know, he's terrible. Everyone seems to think, uh, maybe that's just the way to get people to vote, but everyone seems to think that the other side has, these, uh, uh, tyrannical ambitions. They're going to be the last president. They made themselves king. And, uh, and then what happens, you know, when there is a, there's an election and there's a peaceful transfer of power and it's happened 40 to 45 times. And it's just, it's just, it's something that, that does, has not happened in world history. We take it for granted in our country, but it, it's the norm is not so. The norm is tyranny and, uh, and more tyranny and more restriction and, and power grabs, and, and 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 we have to be appreciative that you know these founders of our country just figured it out and built the system to withstand despots and uh, people descending to to very dark places. What is very surprising about this Mishnah is that this terrifying notion that there's something that we all have within us that. If exposed, if unearthed, we could be very dangerous to one another. You know, I think like uh, any like movie or television show that deals with like, some future apocalyptic world, there was a nuclear bomb, there's the zombie invasion, whatever it is, it's right away very dangerous because people get very territorial, people get very aggressive, and like we're back to the Stone Ages where, you know, people would invariably die – by the hands of other people. And what that's, I think, indicating that there is something very primal about humanity that's, that's very, it's, that's very not present in our world thanks to the government. Uh, once the government doesn't exist, erstwhile friends are now, are now enemies. And when you have an enemy, you may feel like you're justified to swallow them alive, quite literally. And here we're told that that actually exists within us. Thankfully, we're not in a situation where that is where that has been brought to the for, to the front, you know, forefront. I just think it's a it's a it's a scary idea that uh, that we all have that that within us. Uh, you know, a few weeks ago in the parsha, we read about Abraham and his wife Sarah, and every place they seem to go, everyone seems to inquire about who Sarah is, who's this beautiful woman, maybe she's for the king. And in in both instances, Abraham tells Sarah, you know, say you're my sister. 
And she says, he's a sister and he survives. Otherwise, it would have killed him. And what does he tell Avimelech when Avimelech confronts him? And I understand, like, why did you lie to me? So first he says, well, I didn't actually lie to you. She actually is my sister. Like Rashi explains, because she was his niece. But the Talmud rules that someone's grandchild is like their child. So she's like the child of my father. And therefore, she's like my sister. So technically, it's okay. He didn't lie. But he justified. He says, listen, there's no fear of heaven here. Because, you know, a visitor comes and the first question you ask them is, is this, is this woman your wife? Is she your sister? No, your first question you should ask them is like, what can I get for you? You came from a long journey. In a wholesome society, you don't automatically inquire to the eligibility of the, uh, of the fine looking woman that comes, uh, as a refugee. And Abraham labels it as like, there's no fear of heaven here. And therefore, there's no fear of heaven. We don't know what could happen. And I think that this is kind of a similar thing. We talk about fear of heaven. What it means is it's like, it's like, it's like self-governance. When someone's fearful of heaven and they start behaving in a way that is congruent with that idea, what they're in effect doing is they're, they're reigning in their own bad impulses without any government oversight and without fear of heaven. Then you look like Avimelech. Then you look like the person being described in this Mishnah, where everything is fair game, everyone is uh, yours for the taking, and if someone is a competitor, well, then you swallow them alive. So, in effect, what I'm arguing here is that if there was a country constructed of just people who had fear of heaven, well, you wouldn't need a government. If everyone was ethical, if everyone was righteous, if everyone was moral, if everyone had fear of heaven, well, then you don't need to have any government oversight because people are governing themselves. You know, the fifth largest city in Israel is B'nai Brak, and it's unique on two fronts. A, it's the most religious city. B, it's the poorest city in Israel. And you would think, you know, if you were to look at kind of demographically, if you have a, a highly concentrated city where there's a lot of poverty, what do you have with poverty and high concentration of city? You have lots of crime. So you would imagine if you just knew this, this information, a very, very densely populated city with high rates of poverty, you would also imagine there would be high rates of crime when, in fact, the exact opposite is true. There's almost no crime. And in fact, they had a police force, but the guy was, his primary job was to be a liaison for the lost and found. And you wonder, like, how is it possible when all the conditions where crime should really flourish, you know, it's, it's, it's very poor, it's very densely populated. It's, it's, it's this point where, yes, you don't need a strong government enforcing laws when people are going to obey those laws themselves. You know, if, if everyone obeys laws because they have a fear of heaven, well, that would diminish or, or mitigate the, the need to have external compulsion from a police state. All humans really, on a very base level, are prone to having these very terrible impulses. And in a weird way, we have to think governments, even bad governments, even oppressive tyrannical governments, 
they may be better than anarchy, than total free-for-all. That could be even worse, a, uh, worse, uh, a tremendous statement given that it was made uh, under what's the, you know, one of the worst governments that we have ever been subject to.